Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Game Podger Unfocused Podcast. I am your host, Scott, and with me, as always, is Hilka. How are you today, Hilka? I'm I'm doing very good. It's a little chilly here, but not like super chilly. It's apparently hmm, wow. I I didn't want to start this episode off with a bummer, but uh, so far it's been the hottest February on record. Oh, yep, big fan of that. That's not concerning at all. Mm. But yeah, uh, I I've been I've been good. I've played uh, more video games since last episode. I did very much enjoy last episode, but we are ostensibly here to talk about video games we've played. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We we do enjoy video games. Um, no, it's been a big couple of months for me. I've um yeah I've I've moved out of my original place in a new place now. Um, so that was a bit hectic trying to get everything sorted, trying to get all the big stuff. Uh, you just you just don't know sometimes just how much stuff you actually have. I say, uh, I've got a bed, I've got a fridge, I've got a washing machine, TV, TV cabinet. If I ever move out of my current place, I am so scared of all of the books I have to pack. <laughs> I have like two shelves just of tabletop role-playing game books and like most of them are hardcovers my but just my dnt shelf by itself like oh god well i had to um i had to give up my um amiibo collection no 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 sorry i haven't given up the actual amiibo collection itself but it's still in a box at the moment um because uh, actually, funny enough, with that, um, the last uh, Smash Brothers amiibo, Sora, was just released a couple of days ago. Yeah, uh, co-host of N Focus Rosalie already got hers. Nice. Yep, I still haven't. Yeah, I haven't taken mine out of the box yet. Uh, probably sh- should do that. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of like it's still not the official end of the amiibo line. Uh, like the, in the future, there'll still be more ones coming through, I'd imagine. But I think this sort of um, this is Harold's uh, sort of a swan song because the Smash Brothers back in, back to Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS was the first. Well, actually, for Wii U was the first instance of these ones. Um, Amiibos so are that much, old. Yep. Wow, I forgot they already worked mm. on Wii U. Yeah, it was um, originally because I think the because the Wii U had that NFC um, chip inside of it, and I think initially it was the only time it used beforehand was just like these little Pokemon figurines, like little chibi Pokemon figurines you used to play in a game. Oh yeah, and that's where like the two and a half year quote unquote boom of that kind of game with like. Uh, Skylanders and Disney Infinity yep. mm-hmm. and um, Lego not Star Fox but something similar the like Ubisoft Star yes Fox I know the one yeah I know the one I, know, I don't know the name but I know the one you're talking about although that one was for Switch I think right I think that came later maybe for three yeah years. no no that, that Yep, yep, that came before Switch. I think it had um, Star Fox DLC for it. 
That's probably why I'm thinking about Star Fox with it. Yeah, but like, wow, yeah, Skylanders was on Wii U. Hmm. Forgot about that. Oh, Skylanders. I think, yeah, I think Skylanders was originally on Wii. It was Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Wii. But then they made the figurines for the Wii U one? Because the Wii couldn't do figurines, right? No, so the way it works is that for the Xbox, PlayStation, and Wii, you had a separate adapter that you used to plug into the USB, USB port, and that's how you would interact with them. And what it was with the Wii, with the with the Smash Brothers Amiibo was that you actually you actually used the chip inside the Wii U, yeah. which I don't think no other um, no other ga- like sort of game had their own sort of figure separate figurines. That basically, if any other game were to do that, like third party game, it had to be like an Amiibo line. It would still have to be technically uh, an Amiibo. Ah. Mm. Because uh, I feel like even like Diablo had one. It wasn't like in a standard amiibo packaging, but it was still considered an amiibo. Wow. That that shows you how much I paid attention to this, Mike. This <laughs> sliver of gaming history that I completely didn't know most of this. <laughs> well, um, for me, I mean, you know, I've got, I've got apart from like obscure ones like sort of the like the golden ones you win in like Splatfest, like Nintendo competitions or the Mario cereal box they did in the US I've got every amiibo every one even like the the Monster Hunter Stories 2 yep. ones yep yep I've got those oh Monster Hunter Stories 2 that actually came out in Australia like you can order it through the Nintendo shop but Monster Ho- Stories 1 um, that was only in Japan, but I've got all of them. I have one, technically two amiibos total. Uh, I have the Magnamalo one from the Monster Hunter Rise Collector's Edition, mm-hmm. and someone got me a gift of the Malzano amiibo from Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, which did not come out in Europe, but. They found one on like Australian eBay, and okay, should be coming my way in the future. It's not like physically in my possession yet, but it has been purchased for me. Because basically, there is um, the, the the most expensive one in um, it is a Monster Hunter one. Uh, what's it called? The the Naviru from Monster Hunter Stories. Sounds expensive. That frequency. That oh yeah, that's like about three hundred dollars Australian. What the hell? Uh, let me have a check here. That's why I find that on um eBay. Is it just because of low supply? It was just yeah, basically low supply. Um, low for rarity. Uh. Oh no! Well, if you get okay, so okay, maybe three hundred dollars was exaggerating. But got one. So if you're wanting one in the box, like a, one from Japan, one hundred eighty dollars. That's the cheapest I could find at the moment. Um, if you're getting like unbox, it's like at least a hundred dollars. Wow. 
Yeah. I'm so glad I didn't get into Amiibos for exactly this reason. Oh, I am so <laughs> I, I I am lucky I was able to sort of get into that um fairly early. Like I was in the early stages of like the um Smash Brothers one. You had stuff like you remember stuff that like you can get like the little Mac that was um that was sold out everywhere for the longest time and then they did a reprint so I was able to quickly grab onto that. I mean I even had to fight the Silver Mario Party one. My, uh, the um the so the Silver Mario one. That was from EB Games. Um, I was able to order that. But the golden one you had to go to Target and they didn't do any pre orders. You had to line up. Oh God. Yeah. I was literally I was able to get one. Uh Get, get one um but yeah it's um oh, yeah it, it was it, it for, for, for the longest time it was it was hard to get them and you just had to hunt and peck but now it's sort of like okay when a new one is re- is announced they'll usually like you have like um, eb games or our jb hi-fi or the nintendo store um you'll be able to pre-order for that and then it's just easier to easier to order one first off Thank God. <laughs> yeah, they learned their That's lesson sort of, from the beginning, I assume. Oh, uh, yes, yes. But it's sort of one of the things. It's sort of, it's like okay, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I would still be glad to collect Amiibo, but I'm. It'd be good w- one day when they, if Nintendo was sort of announced, okay, that's it, we're not doing this anymore. And it's like okay, I've now got every one of them. You can stop now. You can stop. You, you're no <laughs> you, you, longer, you, uh, um, you you you're no longer beholden to the sunk cost fallacy. Actually, that's another two that I don't have. Uh, they did a Skylanders one where it was like Bowser and Donkey Kong, where it's like it was actually like an amoeba and a Skylander at the same time. There's like a switch on it; you can switch it up. I was able to get the standard ones, but there was like a black edition. They were like a special edition. You had to get like a um, you had to get like a special game for it. Um, so I don't have those, but I'm not too hung up on those. Uh, I'm gonna put a yeah. I my, my my like get a lot of physical things. Budget goes to uh previously mentioned in this podcast uh, tabletop role-playing game books i don't have like a complete collection of fifth edition because there's some books i'm just not interested in but i have most of them <laughs> and a whole bunch of non dnd rpgs as well honestly i think that shelf is probably bigger now than my dnd shelf like dnd I've got a cup I've got a couple of older editions as well. Like I've got the player's handbook from second edition AD and D. I've got the three core books from first edition AD and D. Both of those were reprints, so I didn't pay like exorbitant amounts of money for them. And I've got a handful of three point five. I've got a whole bunch of fifth edition, and then boy, do I have a lot of like non D and D books on the shelf next <laughs> to them. Hmm. This is the thing of me, like you would think of me, I'd have like a, all this like big collection of um, 
physical games, but I don't actually have any really. I don't have any physical games. Everything's digital with me. I know it's going to bite me in the bum in the future, but at least in one sense, you know, I was able to sort of when I did have to move, I was able to take my stuff with me and sort of like I'm still able to access everything. Yeah, that is the advantage of digital. Yeah. Although one day it could just be taken away from me. I mean, it's not like physical is immune to that kind of thing. Like we talked about this on a recent end focus, not the most recent one, but the one before that, that like 3DS cartridges are starting to fail if they haven't mm-hmm. been plugged in for long enough. And like PS1 games are starting to succumb to what I learned on that episode is called disc rot, uh, where the disc just won't won't run the game anymore. So that's fun. And it it happens to like old DVDs as well. If you've got DVDs from like the early to mid 2000s, they might not play anymore. I've got a copy of Kevin Smith's Dogma that I bought secondhand that doesn't just that just doesn't play. See, the really the thing with the digital is it's it's a DRM issue. That's what's it's. Okay, it's 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 words. Effectively, it's data. It's ones and zeros. It's, it's it's words. You know, it's sort of like it can be copy and paste into any sort of device, any sort of storage medium, and can be accessed. It's just, do you have permission to access them? That's what the whole. That's what the really the issue is. Yeah, and companies, especially game companies, although they're. L- by far not the only culprits of this, uh, would rather revoke permission for things than give people access to them because they can't make all of the money selling it anymore because it's like seven years old. And in that regard, it is nice that we do get like remakes and remasters and stuff because... there is, like, if you tried to buy a copy of Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door for the GameCube. Oh, goodness. That would set you back quite a quite quite a hefty sum. And so that's why it's nice that it's getting remade for the Switch this year. And there's, there's this whole, like, nebulous, like, it's called Abandonware, where, like... Yep. The, the publisher doesn't have the rights to sell it anymore, so it like but it's still legally speaking piracy, but it's it's frustrating because like there's so many games, yeah. especially licensed games, like one of my favorites is Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle Earth 2. It was published by Activision. I think it was Activision. And Activision doesn't have a Lord of the Rings license anymore, so they can't legally sell it, but I can't legally download it if I want to play it. Well, I mean, a recent example of this, I mean, a recent example of this is um, Spec Ops The Line. I was so mad about that. Yep. Spec Ops The Line is genuinely one of my favorite games of all time. It is a... It is... It is like... One of the, it is like... Not the Citizen game, but it's like... You know, an example of how great this medium can be, and for it to just be 
no, you cannot, like, you can't, there'll be, like, there's physical, like, Xbox 360 and PS3 releases, but, like, you know, as so like with Paper Mario, you know, they're, they're now just going to go up in price. And the the predominant way of playing this will be the DRM-free good old games version that I bought, like, hours before it got delisted for, like, three euros. Ah, uh-huh, nice. I ended up... I actually had it on Steam. I bought it years ago on Steam. I'm glad I did. So so did I, but I figured having a DRM-free version as well might come in handy in the future. That is probably the... Yes, that's actually probably the smarter smarter option. And um, it's just because they, they didn't want to renew the license on the music because there's some licensed music in there. And now you just can't buy one of the best games of all time anymore yeah hmm cool love that for us actually it's a funny thing with um actually with um with spec ops alone because i've actually been playing it on a certain device now i yes yes i have scott well, let me let let me tell you a story now. I actually, um, as mentioned before, I have uh, actually moved out of my my old place and moved to a new place, and I sort of wanted to change up, um, basically, sort of calm down, like like sort of consolidate down to what I actually have. Now, I had um, I'd, I've gotten a steam, I got a steam deck, uh, and I thought, you know what, rather than get my old tower, because I hardly actually use the tower. Like, if I'm playing a PC game, I'm playing it on the steam deck. And I thought, you know what? I don't really have the pa- I don't. I don't really want to put in the tower anymore. So you know what I'll do? I'll actually put Windows on my Steam Deck. You can do it. Um, like it's it's no easy dual booting to it. Um, you can either like you can either do it like through a USB stick or try and do it through, through its um SSD. But what I ended up doing is I just, I tried to do it through the actual uh, micro SD, and it is doable. It's just, it's just a bit of a workaround, you know. It's just everything's just a little bit slow, you know. Um, it's just the drivers aren't like the drivers are. They say the drivers are up and working, but you know, I had sort of issues with that. So I thought there was also they actually had a special on a uh, what's called the ROG Ally. Um, this is a handheld PC handheld gaming computer uh, released by ASUS. And they actually had it for two hundred dollars off. Uh, everywhere in Australia, so I thought may as well pick one up and see how I would go with that. Uh, using that, uh, not just as like a um, like a, as a, as a portable handheld gaming device, but also as sort of like my main computer. Um, so this one was released. Uh, let me have a check here. Uh, this actually released um, June last year. Yeah, it's so very not that recent. long ago. Hmm. Uh, it is. It's got some, for, for the size of it, it's got some impressive specs. It's got what's called the uh, the Ryzen Z1 Extreme processor. They actually have two models. One's called the Z1 by itself, and the other one is Z1 Extreme. Uh, effectively, like the Z1 by itself, it's just like a cut down on the actual, you know, amount of um, processors it has. Um, ends up being, what, 2.56 teraflops? Whereas the other, the extreme one is eight point two nine teraflops, which is sort of like an arbitrary sort of metric. Um, it's not really something you sort of 
easily put as quantifiable. It's just big, bigger number is better. And what exactly it means is sort of, yeah, it's like bits back in the day, you know, like, oh my God. Oh yes. Oh no, it's 32. Oh, it's 64 bit. I still remember when they, when they claimed that, um, like the Dreamcast was 128 bit and it's like, how did you, wait, that doesn't even make sense. Although I, 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 I say bits mostly as a joke. I do believe it had something to do with like the number of colors you could have on screen <clears throat> at once. Yeah. Yeah. Cause effectively you went, you bet like, um, if you went from the, the original Nintendo to the Super Nintendo, you had like 52 colors up to 65,000 colors because that was, um, 16 bit. And then when you went up to 32 bit, that went up to 4 million colors. It's basically how, how, how big of a number can be at the, on the actual, um, CPU going through a CPU process at the one time. So the actual comparison uh, so, we should be making is blast processing. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, it's it, it's it, yeah. It's this whole teraflop thing. It's it's just a repeat of that. Uh, but it has actually got some other nice and impressive specs. Is um, it's got sixteen gigs of RAM. Uh, it's got a um, the base model. Uh, just got um, 512 gigabytes uh, storage. Um, yes, yeah, so my Steam Deck has 256. I actually ended up um, ended up actually upgrading the um, SSD on the ROG Ally um, to a terabyte. It's actually fairly straightforward to do. You effectively make sure the battery's down about 25%, turn it off, unscrew the back, and it's easy enough just popping out the battery connector, popping out the SSD, and putting it, put a new one in, like with the Steam Deck, watching videos and that. Yeah, there's like stuff you have to peel off, and there's like a um, foil you have to keep around the SSD, and it's sort of like it seems fairly straightforward to do, but it's just it's a little bit fiddly. But the ROG Ally is just easy enough to do, and the good thing with the ROG Ally, um, just quickly saying, is that when you actually go in, actually um, the BIOS itself will actually connect to the internet, and it, it'll just download, set up Windows. So I don't have to actually like get like a, another USB stick from another computer and install Windows through there. It just does it by itself. Oh, that's great. Because that was going to be my next question was, wouldn't you have to reinstall Windows on the new drive? But hey, you don't. Well, you, you, it's, you still you do, but it actually, Ma- it'll manually, actually connect. It, I meant manually yeah, install. Yeah, yeah. No, you just basically have to have a um, Wi-Fi signal and connect to it and that's it. It'll go through, connect to it, download it and set it all up. Um, yeah, which is good. Uh, and another good thing about this device is that it's actually got a um, 1080p screen with um, variable refresh rate at 120 hertz. Nice. Uh, yes, it is. I, I Look, the Steam Deck screen is nice. Like, I haven't seen the OLED Steam Deck OLED, which, you know, that's um, obviously it's OLED HDR and um, 90 hertz. But I tell you what, this with the LCD with the Steam Deck, this ROG Ally, I swear it's like going from the original Switch to the OLED Switch. Like you still don't get those um, inky blacks because it's it's not it's still not an OLED, it's still LCD. Um, but it is um, it's just so nice. Like what people don't people don't seem to mention is um, sort of the uh, ref, not so much refresh, sort of ret- image retention. I think it's basically like, it's sort of like 
go from like say like the original from Switch OLED to the original Switch, you sort of sort of like ghosting. If that makes sense, like it's sort of like they, it's sort of like it's sort of like motion blur with the original Switch. And I found with um with the Steam Deck that sort of has that as well. Oh, really? I I don't think I've ever experienced that. I I I, I sort of like. Once you actually get like look at the ROG Ally, I'm not talking about like it's 120 hertz. Like even stuff like 60 hertz, going from that to the the the, the, the Steam Deck LCD, you sort of do notice. It's it's not it's not bad. Like it's it's like obviously manageable. It's like the, the the Steam Deck is still got a good LCD screen. I'm not gonna knock it, but it's just it's just really nice with that um ROG Ally one. Like the majority of games, you will not be getting up to 120 hertz. Um, but the ones you do, like older games, like you know, Dooming, the Quake series. You know, I even tried, I even installed Quake Four in this and did a hack on it to actually get a, a frame rate. It's just, it's just, it really is. It really is nice. It's, it's the way I sort of. Um, there are some issues with that though, like. When you when you do are pushing that power, it will drain the if you're on battery power, it will drain the battery much faster. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh yeah, it's it, the way I do it is that it's actually funny because it using this ROG Ally, fantastic system, powerful system, but it really did make me appreciate how well done the Steam Deck is. Like with its power management, it doesn't get it doesn't get as powerful. But basically, when it's on sort of a lo- lower TDP, with sort of the lower power draw, it gets so much more battery life for the performance compared to the ROG Ally, which basically, when, when the ROG Ally is at that same TDP, it's not as powerful. You have to sort of bump it up to get that extra power. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like a couple of things like that, like, na- like that, and then also the navigation with the operating system. Because the ROG Ally... Yeah, it is, it is really well done with it. It's got this stuff like uh, called Armory Crate, which basically allows you to ch- like change the settings. You know, change um yeah if it's um the power draw setting, the um the fresh rate, VRR, uh, other things like quit out of desktop, that sort of thing, and also helps helps you select the games and um sort of uh, adjust the game so you can use the you can adjust the back buttons. But at the end of the day, it is still on Windows Eleven. And it's just the way I see it is the Steam Deck. I've never really had an issue. Some, sometimes, on a as a handheld system, it's fantastic. Docked, it's fantastic as well. You can just once you hook it, hook it up to controller, it really does act like a console. Whereas with the ROG Ally, on a handheld, it's it's good. Like if you use Armory Crate, and you can use sort of use a touch screen if you get like you know pop ups and that. There, fair enough. And actually, it has does have like an analog stick mode. We can use the right analog stick as like a, um, as a like as a mouse. It does it do, it does work well. You know, when detecting you know when it's actually on Windows desktop and when it's actually on um, a game. Uh, but trying to use it docked, like um, trying to use it docked on a TV with a controller, I I do not know how you can do it. You sort of have to make sure you have the get basically you have the game set up ready to go, then plug it in, then press go, and just leave it for the game. You had to do anything else, it's not ideal. 
Okay, interesting. So it's like as specifically a handheld, it's probably better than the Steam Deck, but it's just less versatile. If if to make it sort of a summary, it's sort of like if if, if you're playing if you're playing a game by itself, if you're just playing a game. It's it's like it's more powerful than the Steam Deck. It's got a nicer screen, but if you want to do anything like you know, if you want to say like go through the Steam Store, if you want to go and like you know um chat with friends through Steam Chat or adjust settings, or basically go through the operating system on the Steam Deck. It's easy to do because it's a Linux operating system. It's a custom custom Steam OS. They've set it up like that. It's it's a gamepad focused operating system first with the ROG Ally. It's basically got programs that sort of trying to emulate. Basically, you know, you can, if you just got these programs running, you should be right. But if you need to go into Windows, that's when it becomes a nightmare. I nightmares, yeah, nightmares, sort of um, exaggerating a bit, but le- extreme, more stressful. Um, like basically with the, with the ROG Ally, it's really good. It's also really good when you dock it up. Like I've actually, we're, we're recording this podcast. I'm actually recording this through the RG Ally itself. And so I've just got one USB-C cable going through my monitor. I've got the keyboard and mouse here. And as a Windows 11, Windows desktop, it's great. It's great. It's actually, I feel it's more powerful than my my, my old tower because I didn't have a particularly powerful tower. That's kind of um, cool. Yeah. Also another cool thing with this, like you can... You can do it with the Steam Deck, but it's sort of you, you sort of have to gin around and have to get extra programs, have to do some settings, um, you know, get the certain like packs, Linux packs. With the ROG Alley, however, you can get other stores. You can get the Epic Game Store, GOG Game Store, um, EA, Ubisoft, and the Microsoft Store. So this actually comes with actually um, three months of Game Pass Ultimate. Oh, cool! And yeah, <laughs> so like it's it's a like it's it's just it's a it's an Xbox, it's a Game Pass machine. Like, I don't think, I don't know if you're able to actually put in like, um, like um, on storage, like running on the device um, game, like Microsoft games on the Steam Deck. I know you can do like through cloud Game Pass, but that's just like doing it through the cloud. Yeah. But I don't know if they're actually, actually able to, like you can get like other, like if you get like the Heroics application, through Linux, you can put like Epic Game Store and GOG, uh, but it's still it's still like Ginny Rand. It's sort of like it's 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 actually it's sort of it sort of teaches you it's much better to get a game on Steam rather than run it through um <coughs> like through the heroic launcher, like say like Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, they um like it's but it's better if for the Steam Deck, it's better if you actually. Do it through Steam itself. If you buy it through Steam, rather than actually buy it through Epic, or that a while ago they had like a, one of those free games, run it through there because it's just a just a bit of a nightmare to do it through the Steam Deck through the Epic Store. Whereas with the ROG Ally, I mean, it's still like it's not like the Epic Store is not like a gamepad friendly store, but it is. Um, you're still able to run it like a Windows device. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's um, but yeah, I've um, so I'll be honest, um, I've actually I haven't actually touched my Steam Deck in a while. Um, you just get so I've got some games like um, 
as I talked before, the new uh, like a dragon um, Gaiden. So that's from the uh, Xbox Game Pass, the Microsoft Store. Um, so I'll talk about it later on. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, I just like it's you still have to do quite a bit of fiddling with it uh, to get some games running. But I feel like like say like you do you remember Rage from id Software? I do, yeah, the the open world post apocalyptic uh, shooter. Yeah, so that's a game that notoriously does not. Well, it, it does run on um, Steam Deck, but it is not optimized. Like you'll, get, it's a game that is famously like <coughs> at sixty frames per second, but you ca- it will dip below that constantly on the Steam Deck. Ah. and it's been yeah, it's like you. It's one of those games like on Proton DB they discuss, it and it's like, yeah, it's still not it's still not ideal. Whereas on the ROG Ally, because it is just running through Windows, yes, Windows itself is not ideal as a handheld operating system to navigate through. But once you get the game up and running, it's great. <coughs> like you can actually just go ahead and run it. Nice. Um, yeah. The only other negative thing I would say about the ROG Ally is the way it handles sleep. And another really good thing I'd, I'd appreciate with the Steam Deck, sleep mode. I would say 95% of the time on the Steam Deck just works. You'll have those odd occasions where you wake it up and maybe the games crash or maybe like the sounds crackly, in which case you have to um, basically um, exit out of the game and go back in. But like, I would say 95% of the time, it just wakes up. Uh, it's not instant like, say, like the Switch uh, because it's still running on uh, effectively x86 hardware. Uh, but... It is like once you do ally because the ally it it has a sleep it has like Windows sleep mode, um, but it'll end up going to what's called a hibernate mode, which means like it's sort of like the, the system is shut off. But what it ends up happening is that you push it on and then like it's about ten seconds before you're actually back into the game. Whereas with the Steam Deck, it's a, like it's, you know so it's a, like it's like two seconds. So yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna play with this um, ROG Ally a bit more. Um, see some games that are running, um, and yeah, I at the moment now I'm 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 enjoying it. Glad to hear it. It sounds like a an interesting piece of tech. And the thing I'm kind of excited about most with all these handheld PCs is like, where are they going to be in like five years? You know, when seriously all of the kinks have been worked out and they've maybe managed to find a way to give it like a battery life that's not completely embarrassing when you're trying to play like a fairly recent game. I think the biggest the, the biggest issue is Windows. And it's not actual Windows itself, like the actual internal internal it's sort of like its interface. What they need, Microsoft need to actually bite the bullet and make a sort of a game focus like setting. For this you log in and so I wouldn't say like do I completely you know Windows Windows gaming operating system, like have it like just like as a dumb like a uh, when you log in, you have like a dumbed down sort of Windows that I would say operates like the Xbox. Basically, I had the Xbox yeah had the Xbox um, interface there. It's still internally Windows, but just when you want to navigate to somewhere, rather than having to do like you know the whole file management system, you do it through like sort of the Xbox one. That makes sense to me. So if you're listening, Microsoft, 
our uh, commission rates for this idea are uh, very reasonable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Phil, if you, if you listen to this. Um, and I know you're listening to this yeah, personally, I, Phil. I know you, yeah. Phil Spencer, are a big fan. Mm. In fact, Phil, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take, um, if you can tell us what those four games you're going to release on other systems, we'll work something out. Ooh, that ship has sailed, unfortunately. They did already tell us. Oh, they, they actually announced what those games are. Yeah, it was oh. Sea of Thieves, Hi-Fi Rush, mm-hmm. Pentiment, and one I had never heard of before, so I don't remember what it was. Oh, okay. Because I knew, like, yeah, Sea of Thieves, um, Hi-Fi Rush, and I had a Pentiment, but I just didn't hear of the fourth one. Yeah, it was. I, I don't want to spend too long on it because it's it's been covered by a number of other sources by now. But like, wow, we we I say we collectively the gamers TM really worked ourselves into a frenzy about this announcement. Partially brought on by oh Microsoft my themselves, going like, "Oh, we've heard you, and we're gonna discuss this in a podcast." And it was like not even a podcast; it was just a normal like two people sitting in chairs, twenty-two minute feature presentation. <laughs> And it was just like, yeah, we're not sending like Halo and Gears of War to PS5, you know? <laughs> uh, I will say though, um, Halo on this ROGLA, 120 hertz, oh, it's nice. Ooh, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so speaking of the game that you put, you could play it either, hopefully on your Steam Deck or... Um, RGLA, you've been you've been into some of the Steam Next Fest demo games. Well, I've been to into exactly one of the Steam Next Fest demos, uh, and I I decided to play this one. It's Tales of Kenzera colon Zau, uh, partially because I we covered it on N Focus. It was in like the the Indie Land uh, showcase from a couple months ago and i thought it looked really really cool uh as like a an afro futuristic metroidvania and i thought it was really interesting and then i saw like a couple days before steam next fest they were like okay i know we said the demo was coming out in like april or march we're gonna drop it two days from now on steam next fest and i was like ooh color me intrigued and what i find especially interesting for my personal experiences recently has been i also played through uh prince of persia the lost crown recently for more details on that and focus episode 236 uh but it was cool to see like these two metroidvanias pretty much side by side and yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So Tales of Kenzera Zao, it's all in all, I think it's like world and story ideas are a little more interesting than Prince of Persia's. Prince of Persia's is a fairly standard, like kind of story where there's a betrayal and then you have to clear your name. And honestly, it reminded me a lot of like uh, Asura's Wrath 
uh, story-wise. But Tales of Kinzara, um, you play as Zhao, a shaman who is working with the god of death to bring back his father because he died tragically. Um, and I really like the characterization of the god of death. I've, I've always really liked... Because, uh, you know, classically in in the West, we have, like, the Grim Reaper who, by their very name, is generally not, you know, super jovial. Uh, unless you're reading Discworld, I guess. Um, and this usually just an image of, um, usually just an image of, um, a skeleton in a cloak with a sigh. Yeah, this, this God of Death is, is a lot more jovial and is a lot more interesting as someone who is less about uh the the mourning of someone's death and more about the celebration of someone's life now that it is over and yeah as and and i do like that it gives you a little bit of an in-universe reason as to why uh if you die in the game you don't actually like die die uh i like that The, also the uh the visual design is phenomenal the game is gorgeous i love i i did read a quote from an uh interview that they said they wanted to make the areas not feel too much like a video game level and more like an actual like thing that could realistically exist in nature and i think they more or less nailed that at least what i saw from the demo uh i i do love that i do really like that there's a lot of attention paid to the verisimilitude to use a very large word of this game where everything makes sense in the context of the world that it's taking place in and there aren't too many elements that are like obviously video gamey my main criticism of the game and i will say when you fire up the demo there is a little message of like this game is very much still a work in progress so if you find any like technical issues bear with us it's probably already being worked on is there's something about the f game feel that's just a little less smooth than i'd like it to be have you played a lot of metroidvanias yes i have like obviously um metroid metroid i also um Oh, what was it the the one that's um metroid uh i haven't really gone into any, much of the castlevania i still got to play the um <coughs> symphony of the night um but there's, there's this um one um there's one in on it, well, it was originally like done for the wii u and 3ds and that and it's on switch uh metroidvania oh. Do you remember like a sort some of, of its themes, like what it looks like? Uh, just like like sort of like sixteen bit, a uh, mix of eight and sixteen bit. Um, oh my god! Shovel Knight. What what's what was that? Sorry, Shovel Knight. Oh no! I, is Shovel Knight a Metroidvania? Kind of. Uh, I guess it's more of just a straight up like a action platformer. 
But yeah, the, the point is, like, as as someone who has played a fair number of Metroidvanias, you'd know how important it is to have, uh, like, good-feeling controls. Because, especially if you're going to have a lot of a uh, fair number of platforming challenges that are timing-based or, like, dexterity-based and combat with, like, a, a number of enemies, there's just something kind of... I don't know, sticky about the the way this game feels to play. Like it's it's never quite as smooth as I want it to be. Which coming from Prince of Birds of the Lost Crown, which feels amazing to play, was a little bit of a disappointment. Is 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 it like would you say it's a bit stiff? Yeah, stiff is I think a better word for it. Um where like it's not it's just not quite as responsive like there's a uh, a section in the demo where you're on like a, a sort of river and you have to like duck and jump under and over spikes while you're while the water is pushing you forward and there were a number of times where i you know hit the spikes where i i didn't really feel like i should have because in in the the way i felt like i was pressing the buttons and stuff felt like i responded uh, correctly but it just didn't the game didn't really feel felt feel like it matched my input super well okay so it's like it's maybe like a delay uh i think so yeah there might have been a little bit of a delay maybe yeah if it isn't i feel like if you got it a bit of a delay you sort of the character just feels a bit heavy and i know sometimes yeah i hope that that does get you know, fixed in the final version because I do think there's a lot to like in this game. Uh, the f- the sort of main traversal power you get in the demo is the ability to freeze water. And so in the f- the area you play in in the demo, there's like waterfalls that go into like underground rivers and stuff. And then you throw this frozen stone at them and there's a cool like little in-universe story about the origins of this stone and why it freezes things. Um... The, the writing in this game is great. Characterization from what I saw is really fun. The voice acting that performs the lines is really good. Uh, I, like, I, I felt even in this, I felt just a lot more invested in the characters than I did in The Lost Crown. Uh, but yeah, this this thing, the, the ice stone, you throw it at some water and like it freezes not only the river, not only just like a section to make a platform, but the whole thing. So then you can wall jump up a frozen waterfall to get back up uh, to where you were. Ah, uh, okay. And I thought that was very cool. I thought that was a really cool use of that. Um, um I hope yeah, have a look here. It, it, Axiom Verge. That was the game I was thinking of. Ooh, Axiom Verge. Yeah. Hmm. That was a good Metrovania. But yeah, uh, I think also. I think it's got some really interesting ideas. And I, I do think I'm going to pick it up when it comes out because I have to assume that they're aware of the fact that it doesn't feel amazing. And that's sort of, I think, one of the reasons that the, the little message in front of the demo is there. Uh, they, they still have some, some, some uh, it's still a little rough around the edges, but I, I do believe that that is fixable. 
because the I'm especially really interested in the setting because there there is like in most Metroidvanias these days there is like you know you pick up items and they have little descriptions that give you more backstory and there's a whole like section on the different enemies that you've beaten giving them little descriptions I I I enjoyed reading those a lot more than I enjoyed reading them in the Lost Crown the ones in the Lost Crown were mostly pretty standard but here, I don't know, there's just a lot of good flavor in the world building. And it's like uh, Afrofuturism is something that I'm not super familiar with. Like the thing that most people I think would probably recognize is Black Panther, the Marvel movie. Uh, and beyond that, I haven't really delved too deep into it. So I, I am looking forward to experiencing more of this kind of storytelling and world building. Nice. Now, uh, to take one of the pins out of our discussion from earlier, uh, out of the corkboard again, you've been playing one of the 7,000 Like a Dragon games that exist nowadays. Yes. Uh, like yes, a Dragon Gaiden, specifically. Yes. Apparently, its full name is here's, um, Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name. Yes, this is the game that, uh, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, sponsored a match on All Elite Wrestling. And they had the Like a Dragon Gaiden Street Fight. <laughs> that involved Kota Bushi riding a bicycle while holding a lead pipe and hitting someone with it. Yes. Yes, I, I, I don't follow wrestling, but I understood that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yes, so I have been playing, yes, um, like, a, you know, like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. So this um, this is the, well, it's sort of not so much, it's a prequel and ends up being a sequel. Pre prequel first, then moves up to a sequel throughout the game. Um, this is, effectively, this is set sort of after the six Yakuza game, um, and sort of during the seventh Yakuza game. And this, with it, when it went from six to seven, it went from a sort of a on-street brawler type game to a traditional Japanese RPG, uh, which, which, yeah, turn-based, which, which turned out really well for the series. And I'm glad that actually the, new, the newest one, um, Infinite Wealth, is continuing on with that. I've seen some, um, some gameplay this... clips of Infinite Wealth. Yeah, it looks. Oh. I I do appreciate that even with it with turn based combat, there's still just absolutely wild like things that happen, like combat moves and stuff. Yep. Ah, oh, it looks so fun. Oh my goodness! I mean, like you had the original one, you had like like you had sort of like these sort of special characters that you uh you'd be able to sort of call upon. So uh, what they call pound mates. And effectively, these would be people you'd be able to like. There's one. There's like a um. There's a chicken that lays an egg that gives you um like a boost. Uh, there'll be standard characters. I uh, like you know, Kiru, um, the main protagonist in the main Yakuza games. Um, uh, just like you know, one big attack. Um, you just got it's like a sumo wrestler just like growing in size and just slamming down to do an area effect attack. It's this is the original Yakuza Seven game. It's great. And now, well, actually, now it should be um, should be like a dragon because they're dropping the um, Yakuza 
uh, name from it. Yeah, I um, mean, it, like the Japanese name has always been like a dragon. Yes, right. It's just yeah. we called it Yakuza in the West, and now it's being standardized. Yeah, yeah it's like it's like if like if Resident Evil was effectively just now we're just going to call it Biohazard from here on out. Uh, but this game, um, this goes effectively. This goes back into the original, um, sort of the brawlers, the brawlers that you get. Um, you play as well. You play as Kazuma Kiru, uh, as I said, the sort of the protagonist from the original, original games. However, sort of in this game, they have been um, not to put spoilers, but basically they're sort of taken out of society. Um, and now they're under a uh, new code name, Ojuru. So for effectively, uh, like they've basically sort of like gone into sort of a witness protection sort of scenario, where it's sort of like a superhero, not superhero, but sort of like someone who works for like the Yakas, certain Yakuza people. And it takes it back to the original uh, brawler, brawler things. Um, you do get uh, sort of, uh, you do get uh, gadgets with this. So the one first one they introduce is sort of like a. Um, a sort of uh, like a um, like a not a spear um, like a like a wire they can use to rope enemies in and um, knock them about sort of like um, Spider-Man's web sling mm, like a lasso <laughs> yeah exactly uh, you can also use this um, outside of the game like when you're running around there'll be certain objects that you see flashing you can use use it to get those in um, it looks like you also got stuff like um, like uh, gadgets, like drones, um, to effectively do that. So it's like a wealth of gadgets that you can use in. Um, from what I play, because I've only done like a first couple of chapters, um, it seems like um, the story. It's like Yakuza games have always been, you know, they've got a big story, but they've also got a bit, a lot of bigger side stories. It's like a big, sort of like a big city. Not, not huge cities like say like Grand Theft Auto, but like sort of like knowable cities that you can go around in and like to do certain quests, side quests. It doesn't seem to have from what I played. It sort of more or less sticks to like a um a standard like you know you go from A to B to C. You still have like um you can still upgrade your abilities. You can still upgrade your um like armor, well like armor like you basically like a nicer suit. And like when you when you upgrade your health, you have like um bentos or even like have Mountain Dew and Pepsi. <laughs> you can drink actual drink. licensed Mountain Dew and Pepsi. Yeah. yeah, hopefully that doesn't that doesn't um that doesn't affect them in the future. Like with a little might, yeah, I would imagine so. Like they usually they're usually pretty good, um, but you never know, um. But no, it's been uh, from what I've been playing, it's been re- really good. Uh, it's a it's this is a game I'm playing on the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. So what's good with this is that if you play it, uh, you can play it on PC or Xbox, and the save just transfers over. Oh, so you can be playing cool. it like, yeah. So you can be playing it on Xbox, and then if you want to go go ahead and then play it like on your PC, or in my case, my ROG Ally, <laughs> yeah, I just do that, and it's got the same 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 save files so yeah it works really well in that instance and i gotta say this is sort of the first game i've sort of experienced with um sort of the resolution upscaling and sort of um fsr3 which also enables like um sorry also enables um uh frame generation 
So I've been able to play this game on this. Like it's still powerful hardware for what it is, but it's still like it's nowhere near like the the, the machine like an Xbox Series X. Uh, but I've been able to play this game at sort of like 1080p with uh, re- it'd be like resolution upscaling and with frame generation getting above 100 frames per second. That's wild. Yeah, you do notice like you you uh, I will say you do notice like um some if you. Certain enemies will have like names across them. If you're pain, if you're painting the cram- camera around like really fast, you can sort of notice like where the frame generation is. Does it get a little bit wobbly sometimes? But when you're actually going ahead, and just like you get it, you you meet up with a bunch of enemies, you start brawling. When you're starting brawling, it's more or less a sort of like a static, well not static, but it's like you've got characters moving, but so sort of like the frame, it, like it's not panning around so when it's doing that it looks really good like it looks it honestly looks like the xbox series x on a handheld that's so cool mm. it's sort of yeah and so i've just been really pressed like, i've been actually playing it on this um, rog ally um but it's just so good just be able to do that and then if i just want to play on a tv on 4k i can just do that um but yeah, that's sort of, um, so I'm getting more into the game. I'm sort of up to a section now. What's really good with the Yakuza series, they have so, sort of um, set places that they all go to. Like your main place in the Yakuza series is Kamarochu. I don't know if I mentioned it. Kamarocho. And then uh, Sultanbori, which is sort of what happened with the newer place in um, Yakuza 2. It's not always in the Yakuza series, but like I noticed like um, in Yakuza 2, in Yakuza 7, uh, it's sort of like a throwback when they go into like throwback. It's really cool, and it's actually in this game as well. So it's like it's like certain places, like um, like say like you know Smash Brothers levels, like you'll you have certain Smash Brothers that get repeated, and it's like it's 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 a nice nostalgic effect. Yeah, and and the the advantage to doing essentially like not massive cities like San Andreas and GTA and stuff is it allows the games to have more density in things that you're not like I and mean, I've still been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla I hit over 100 hours like two weeks ago uh, where like the map is ginormous and part of the side effect of that is that you just go long stretches of travel before you get to fast travel of just nothing like it's nice scenery and there might be some wild animals and the occasional run in with enemies, but like I'd much rather the game just be like physically smaller so I could get places faster. And yeah, then that's that. Yeah. And that's like a, a beauty- dragon has that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's wild. It's, it's wild to think about it. It's like you got this set place. It's small. Uh, def, uh, definitely smaller like Assassin's Creed, but you you just recognize this place. You know, this is where the this is where the bar is. This is where the um the Sega arcade is. You know, this is where the tower is. You just know this place. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And so like you would think, you know, oh, <coughs> you know, they're just being lazy, just reusing the original levels. But it's sort of like, no, they're always updating. You know, they're always updating. You know, newer newer textures that sort of thing but it's sort of like it's nice to know they can you can focus like the it's a livable city it's a livable breathable released realistic city they can go around in. and so like the fun of it is like experiencing you know what sort of new quests you would have you know how people interact in certain situations like you know how you how they can change it up 
So also, as we discussed when we were talking about uh, Tears of the Kingdom, there's nothing wrong with reusing assets between games. It makes the lives of the developers easier, and game developers' lives are way harder than they need to be. So I'm willing to cut them a lot of slack. <laughs> just it's not even cutting slack; it's just smart and efficient use of resources. Like, I, honestly, I'm of the opinion that people should use at reuse assets more often. Heck, I saw a tweet like two days ago of, do you know the the Halo level, the Covenant? Uh, yes. Uh, apparently, literally every rock in that level is the exact same model, just like rotated and resized. And that's just smart. You don't have to painstakingly generate like 17 different models for a rock. Seriously, people will complain about every, anything. That's just it's needless annoying. busy work. Mm. Like you get, I know you like now, like, like Unreal Engine 5, there's, they've got technology in there which you can create like different sort of foliage and different sort of like rock structures. Um, but yeah, we had to like, it's only now that you've been able to do that. But you know, back then, you know, you, you can't be like meticulously getting every little single rock and say, oh, this is what it is. You gotta be, you gotta be smart about it. Yeah. Hmm. But no, I would definitely um, look honestly. If you haven't caught up with the Yakuza series, start with Yakuza Zero. Uh, I think it's on special now on Steam. I think it's still on Game Pass. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of ones on Game Pass. I I think I've I've said this on this very podcast before, but like the Yakuza and Like a Dragon games, I'm afraid if I start, I'll never be able to stop. Because there's like there's a lot of them, and there's so much in each game as well that you can do of just like not only just side missions, but really fun and interesting side missions that are a lot more worth doing than like go here, kill this many enemies, and that's the quest. Like you see in a lot of RPGs and stuff, you know. There's Okay, I don't actually have any examples because I haven't played any of these games. But there's the like weird out-of-context clips you see where you're like um, slot car racing or yeah. karaoke or mm-hmm. uh, helping people with an idle career, I think. And it's like all these things that are very interesting and very unique. <laughs> and I don't know if I'd be able to resist doing them. And so I think if I start playing the Yakuza series, that's all I'm going to be playing in the next two years. Uh, <laughs> so I'm kind of hesitant to start. <laughs> nah, but, uh, look, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it will be a bit deep to get into, but I, I'm still, I'm still going to prize it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like it's, yeah. it, they seem genuinely very good. And everyone who I've heard talk about them loves them. And by what I've seen, rightfully so. <laughs> it's just me now, personally, going... I am scared. <laughs> well, there's nothing to be scared of with the Yakuza. There's nothing to be scared about with um, some Space Marines from the Warhammer series. Yep. Imperium of Man, definitely uh, very good people to model your life around. 
Yeah. yeah, this is something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah for, I'll be honest. For me, this is something I have next to no knowledge about. Well, you're in luck because I don't super have a lot either. Um, so yeah, I played uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand Space Marine, the one from 2011. Recently, the the anniversary edition, I should say, on on Steam that had like all the DLC and stuff. Uh, that I just got for free because I owned the original. Nice of them to do. Uh, I think Space Marine is kind of an interesting game because it it has sort of a, turned into kind of a cult classic video game. Like, I don't know if it sold particularly well when it came out, but there was enough desire to see another one that we are actually getting a sequel finally this year. Uh that's coming out in the fall and it's wild to consider that it, the original came out in 2011. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't super know a lot about Warhammer 40,000. Like I've played the, some of the Dawn of War real-time strategy games. Uh, I played fire warrior on PS2. Uh, but I've never played like the tabletop wargaming game. Like I didn't get into Amiibos and I'm not getting into Warhammer figurines because they're so expensive and I don't have space. Although a lot of them are very cool. But the thing about Warhammer that I love the most about Warhammer 40k is I think it's very funny, uh, which not a lot of people seem to realize. Uh, because it is, as the uh, the pitch goes, it is the grim darkness of the future. And there's demons and aliens and psychic powers and orcs that are technically fungus. And a hole in the universe was created because the Eldar, the space elves, basically, had a giant orgy. Uh, <laughs> and tore a hole in reality and that's how we have the chaos gods now uh, well that's that's some that's some extreme loving right there yeah <laughs> but i i think the 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 writing for a lot of characters in, in 40k is hilarious because they're just so over the top and it's supposed to be like a satire of a lot of things like the imperium of man they like there there's a hefty dose of like the same kind of political satire you saw in Starship Troopers uh like it there's it's the the way i read it it's a combination of like the imperialism of like the british empire from the olden days uh a hefty dose of thatcherism and a lot of religious zealotry because they worship the god emperor of mankind, who is functionally a corpse, but still technically alive. Uh, and one of the things they have to do to keep him alive is they literally sacrifice thousands of people with psychic powers a day to feed the machine chair that's keeping him alive. Okay. Gee, I, I wonder if there's some kind of social commentary there, uh, literally sacrificing people to keep royalty alive. 
uh, yeah. And so in, in Space Marine, you play as a Space Marine uh, who has to stop the orcs, who are one of my favorite factions, from conquering one of the planets in the system that's controlled by the Imperium. Uh, I think my favorite thing about this game specifically is the way we talked about this earlier, the way that it feels because space Marines are these like giant genetically engineered super soldiers in a refrigerator's worth of power armor and their weapons, the standard like bolter rifle of the space Marine. It it's, it fires like little rocket powered bullets. All the bullets are rocket powered. They have a little combustion engine in them and then they explode. It's so funny. It like it doesn't need to like they didn't need to do that, but they did. And that's very funny to me. But like like your space marine, you're you're just a massive hunk of muscle and metal and all the footprints you go clang, 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 clang. And your turning radius is very slow because that would that's realistic for how a space marine would have to turn, you know? And I think it, it does something really interesting for a third-person shooter that I think later sort of got adopted by Doom, like Doom 2016, in that you do have shields, like in Halo, and those regenerate, but if you want to get health back, you need to do like a melee finisher kill. Ah, yes. Yeah. Mm. So sort of like a like a push forward strategy. Yeah. Sort of encouraging you to keep to keep to keep going at it. Yeah, like you're you're a super soldier wider than Marcus Phoenix. Uh but you cannot play this as a cover shooter because you will die. Uh, and I think that's, you know, very in keeping with the for the Emperor charge uh, that you that Space Marines have to do to show their devotion to the God Emperor of Mankind, because cowardice is heresy. Uh, but yeah, the orcs, by the way, the orcs, they're primarily based on like football hooligans in the UK. My favorite thing about them ah. is... Like they all talk in like the, the like sort of very heavy Cockney accent. But my favorite thing about them is like psychic powers are not like super common in the universe, but they're common enough that they're common knowledge. The orcs, as a species, are the most powerful psychic force in the galaxy. And the way it works is all of their psychic powers sort of combine into one really powerful thing of belief. So if enough orcs believe something to be true, it will become true. Oh, okay. So they have these like war machine mechs that they all believe are, they function like war machine mechs, you know, they stomp around, they have powerful chain guns and stuff, but you know, when the scientists, the Adeptus Mechanicus of the uh, Empire, like, examines these mechs, they're like, there's no way this should function. 
Like okay. if if you look at it like a machine, it's amazing that this thing stayed together, let alone was actually functional. But because enough orcs believed it that it would work, it did. Similarly, um classic uh from Lilo and Stitch, uh, the red ones go faster. <laughs> yep. Oh, the orcs believe that when they paint their vehicles red, the red ones go faster. And there's mechanically nothing else different about them, but because enough orcs believe it, they do. <laughs> it's stuff like that that makes me love this world. It's so stupid, but in like the <sighs> best way. Mm. And and all the characters, they're so over the top. <laughs> the way they talk is so <laughs> funny. And and I have to give credit as well to uh, Liam O'Brien, voice actor, also from Asura's Wrath. He played the main character there. Uh, he voices the main character in Space Marine as well. And he gives a lot of like gravitas to the role, but in a way that's very appropriate to the setting. But also just the absolute techno babble gobbledygook that he says in that voice of gravitas is hilarious to me. Uh, I also want to make a special note about Space Marine. There's a, uh, there is a campaign, and it's not like super long. It took me about, I think, seven hours to beat. Um, but it has a phenomenal PVE mode called Exterminatus, uh, where you and up to three other players, it's basically just a horde survival. And you can create loadouts and level up and unlock new abilities. I I mostly bought Space Marine to play that mode with my brother. It isn't until like very recently that I actually finished the campaign. Ah. Because Exterminatus is so fun. You can build like a melee focused character with like a jetpack uh that does like these dive bomb attacks, and you have either your chainsaw sword or a power axe that's literally an electrified axe or a hammer and ah oh, there's just so many fun things you can do with it and i think it's still playable like i think i don't know if there's like servers that have to host it or if it's just peer-to-peer hosting but the last i checked you could still play exterminatus for a game from 2011 i think that's very impressive and i i just i'm kind of having a hard time like talking about all the things i love about this game because it's just so much goofy fun that's what we like to hear yeah and i do want to okay if if you're a fan of warhammer 40,000, and i have said something on this podcast that is no longer true in the lore i apologize i do not as you have said keep up with the the ongoing story of warhammer 40k i just experience it occasionally through video games so if something I've said is no longer canon, sorry. I am not perfect. I am not, in fact, a space marine. You are not the doom guy. No. Though, I will say, for you, Scott, fan of um, boomer shooters. Yes, I was going to wonder if you're going to talk about this. Uh, there is a Warhammer 40k boomer shooter, Bolt Gun. Yes. I haven't yes, played I'm it, looking at... but yes. it does take place on the same planet as Space Marine. And okay. I don't know how like in canon with the story of it is it is, 
but I've had my eye on it for a while and I'm hoping to pick it up sometime soon. Yes, I've got I've got it on my wish list. Uh it 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 it, it, it looks fun. It's it's very just like once you once you realize the the kind of humor that 40k is going for, it's very funny because like it does play a lot of the, the the style of its humor is it plays a lot of ridiculous scenarios completely straight. Like it's not like uh, how I assume the like a dragon games are like. You know how you have, like you mentioned, a sumo wrestler who inflates and does area damage and a chicken that lays an egg. You know, it's in canon. All these things are happening that are super serious and they're really bad. But when you look at them from the outside, it's just like. What if your most powerful war machines is literally a walking church? (laughs) (laughs) Like. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god just 40k is wild i i love reading about it uh i wish i could remember their name there's someone who writes for polygon who occasionally does recaps of what's happening in the warhammer 40k story and they're hilarious i wish i could remember your name i've shouted you out on twitter before you do so so your work is amazing and i love reading it so thank you well that is that um that is it for this episode of the game project unfocused podcast i have been your host scott thank you for hook up for joining me thank you for having me scott it was great to be here as always fantastic all right and we'll catch up with all of you next time bye bye Thanks for listening to this episode of the Game Podger Unfocused Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on other podcast services such as Spotify. Make sure to check out our other show, In Focus. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podger community. Follow us on Twitter, Mastodon, Blue Sky, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular patron. The details for both are on our website. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheScottyJMan and on BlueSky at JustScottyJMan. You can also follow Hilka on Twitter at Gear12Turbo or on Mastodon at at gear12turbo at kind.social. Thanks for listening.